0: Good evening, and welcome to the Cabinet of Fever Dreams. Tonight, the second chapter of a horse-related novella, I'm Cursed, and it's Horse-Related, was originally released July of 2021 and is read by yours truly with musical backing by Mark van der Meulen. During the summers, I work as a tour guide in Prague, the mother of all cities. Originally, this novella was written with audience participation in mind, where listeners would help the character choose what he was to do to get out of his horse-related conundrum. By now, the series has long finished its run, but I'm still a glutton for audience participation. Have a childhood fear you want to tell me about? Hit me up at cabinetofeverdreams at gmail.com, and who knows, perhaps a tailor-made tale of fright might make its way onto your newsfeed one of these days. With all that said, put in your earbuds and watch your feet. Horses have thick hoofs. The air here smells of beer and fried cheese, there's a particularly rowdy group of Germans sitting right behind me. My mind is fragmented between worry and exhaustion, but at least there's a spare phone charger. I'm swaying between a food coma and gentle drunkenness, but beyond the pleasure of a good meal and a good beer, there's a single sobering thought. The horse has now disappeared from my bedroom. Both the animal and me are still in the grasp of a curse we cannot comprehend. That's why I have returned to this faceless corner of the internet, to ask for your advice once more. But first, let me tell you of my past two days. Thanks to the advice of you kind strangers, I have learned more about the curse. Some of this knowledge, however, came at a steep price. After three days of confusion and horror, I only knew this. The horse would appear in my bedroom every night around midnight. The timing was never completely precise, yet the horse's position always was. It always stood in the middle of my cramped bedroom, by the foot of my bed. There was no way I was going to lead a fully grown barnyard animal out of my 7th floor apartment. I couldn't imagine the beast getting out of my doorframe, let alone fitting in the elevator. What did seem within the realm of possibility, however, was dealing with the horse out in the concrete coliseum of Prague 13. If I could somehow get the horse to appear down by the benches outside of my apartment complex, my problems would be solved. A horse on the ground floor is considerably easier to deal with than a horse 30 meters in the sky. If I could get the horse to manifest outside on the benches, I could make him disappear out of my life with a single magic phone call. Hello? Police? Yeah, there's a horse standing in the middle of the housing projects. He looks very confused. Could you send someone to pick him up? The summer air outside was crisp, a nice change from the stifling heat of the day. I had hoped to be alone, yet when I walked outside, I found the benches occupied. The teens sat high up, electing to stay on top of the backrests rather than sitting in the bench like a normal person. All four of them were drinking from the same Pepsi bottle that they solely topped off with tuzumak rum. The scent of skunk weed levitated around them like an invisible force field. As soon as I sat down, their loud conversation died down into mumbling. The amped-up techno playing from their speakers turned down to a whisper. They didn't like the look of me. I was far too occupied with thoughts of the horse to develop an opinion of them. After a couple minutes of concerned glances and whispered comments about the old guy sitting next to them, the teens got up and traveled to another group of benches. Soon, they stumbled out of my sight, but their slurring speech was ever-present in the housing projects. When the Bolsheviks drew cement circles around Prague's borders, they did so for maximum housing capacity. They never considered the echo chambers they were creating. A helicopter passed above. It disappeared almost instantly, but its low sonic heartbeat continued to echo through the project. As the world around us shook, the teens indulged in a loud chugging competition. I tried to ignore the cacophony and kept my eyes on my apartment's open window. With every ounce of my being, I try to stay optimistic about the horse's arrival. I tried to fill my mind with positive thoughts, with hope. But then, one of the teens started to vomit. <coughs> the heave was followed by a crowd of high-pitched laughter, but the sound was wretched enough to wipe out all joy from the universe. In an instant, I knew that there was no escaping the horse. In one pained throaty bark, I knew that my future was doomed. The horse was a punishment. The horse couldn't be disposed of so easily. As I sat there in that storm of sound, I kept on looking at my window, searching for a shred of calm. I found the exact opposite. In the blink of an eye, my worst fears were realized. I saw the horse's muzzle peeking out of my bedroom. The creature sniffed the air. The horse did not like that sound. The wretching went quiet. The housing projects grew still. That a horse? By the time the horse screamed again, I was already in the elevator, slamming the button for the 7th floor. The animal nearly kicked me when I entered my bedroom. The horse was more agitated than it had ever been before. I reached for its mane, hoping that my touch would pacify the creature, but the horse didn't calm. Instead, the animal bared its teeth at me. Big and dull and strong. I didn't want to risk having my fingers crushed. I was concerned for my safety, yet the horse was still stomping and neighing with enough fervor to wake someone from a clinical coma. The bangs of my neighbor's broom from the floor below were imminent. Fearing eviction, I ran out of my bedroom in search of something to calm the horse. All I found was an apple. It had been rotting in my fridge far too long to be edible, but it was suitable for a barnyard animal. The apple in my hand was quickly replaced with a layer of spit. When the horse's long jaw finished chewing on the questionable fruit, the animal started to breathe easier. The horse calmed, as did I. The beast was loud, but my neighbors did nothing to complain. No new structural damage had been incurred, and I was without injury. For a moment, it felt like a crisis had been averted. That moment didn't last long. My buzzer caused the horse to grow nervous once more. The moment I opened the door, I was met with a barrage of insults. My neighbor, Miss Novakova, stood in front of me in a terrifying nightdress and glared at me with even more terrifying eyes. She screamed at me for disturbing the night peace and being a lousy neighbor and a thousand other things that made me a terrible human being. As she spoke, Her shrill voice bounced around the stairwell, waking up everyone who wasn't awake yet. Her whole triad against me ended in a single announcement. She was going to complain about me to the building manager. Past my racing heartbeat, I couldn't hear the horse. But I knew the calm wouldn't last. The animal needed me. The animal needed me and I needed to talk myself out of this situation. I spoke without thinking. For the first couple of seconds, it felt like I was floating out of my body, watching a pitiful silent film. I was going through full dissociation, until I saw myself mouth the words, TOUR GUIDE. Ms. Novaková's face softened. I told her things haven't been easy. I told her how difficult it was to lose all sense of financial stability without any real hope in sight. I reminded her that people's livelihoods died during the plague. Never mentioned anything about the horse, but by the time my sob story was finished, she wasn't concerned about the strange noises coming from my apartment. The anger had faded from her eyes. She no longer spoke for the audience of other neighbors. She whispered. She told me it was my last warning. Next time I woke her up, she would lodge a formal complaint. She also told me she hopes the borders won't close again. Then she left. When I came back to my bedroom, one of the teens outside started to vomit again, but aside from the wrenching echoes, the night was calm. I found a stack of carrots in the fridge and fed them to the horse for staying quiet. There wasn't much else that I could do for the animal at that point. I closed my eyes and tried to get some rest before the morning. The horse's presence was still disturbing, but after three nights of the same terror, I found sleep tugging at me fairly quickly. As I drifted out of consciousness, I thought about the nausea that accompanied most of my summer shifts. I'd occasionally have the conversation with other old timers in the industry it was a form of informed stage fright, we agreed. After running the same three-hour show a couple hundred times, you'd learn how to perfect your timing and trim the historical fat off the stories that made people's eyes glaze over. With daily crowds came daily practice, but with daily crowds also came something else. The bad tours. The tours were all tip-based. We paid the company per head they brought to our tour and then pocketed whatever tips were left over. There was good money to be made among the crowds. Most people who decide to backpack across Europe tend to be kind and generous. People in general tend to be kind. Bumping into someone unhinged is rare. Human lightning strikes are rare as well, but they do happen. On a long enough time scale, within the crowds of delightful people, we would all spot someone horrible. Someone who made the three-hour tour feel like a decade. Vocal Soviet apologists, Holocaust deniers, folks that decided to drop acid on the tour and then make a scene. All it took was one malicious person. It didn't matter how well we handled it. Uncomfortable people don't tip well. I would get nauseous right before the tour. I knew the chances of me catching a bad crowd were minimal, but that potential, the thought that one of the strangers in the audience might be poised to harm me, it tugged at the pit of my stomach. Other old timers would have tunnel vision or panic attacks or hand tremors. Some could turn it off, some couldn't. Some powered through it, some retired. Tour guiding was the only thing I knew how to do. I knew I couldn't retire. I knew I had to come back to work sooner than later. The memories of dry heaving in the world's largest castle complex were discomforting, but with the horse standing next to me, they lacked their bite. I wondered if I would ever be able to get physically sick over something as petty as money or crowds. When I woke, the horse was gone once more. Just like the morning prior, I cleaned what was left behind with McDonald's takeout bags. When the hallway outside of my apartment seemed quiet, I quickly snuck out with all three manure-filled sacks and left them by the trash containers. Then, I headed out to the Old Town Square. If I was to find a way to deal with the horse situation, the vulgar carriage driver seemed like a good place to start. For most of the morning, I moved through life with a sense of exhausted detachment, but a subway ride shook the mental fog out of me. My internal monologue picked up from a sleepy crawl to the speed of a roaring train. By the time I climbed out in the historical district of town, I had composed a full apology for the angry carriage driver. I hoped that the strange dressed man would take pity on me, much like Miss Novakova did. I hoped that I could reason with him and find a way to get rid of the horse that plagued my home and my life. When I arrived at the Astronomical Clock, however, the carriage driver was nowhere to be found. Instead of a sequence covered cart, there were two other horse-drawn carriages. The carts were almost as obnoxious as the one I had encountered three days prior, but their drivers were considerably underdressed in comparison to the angry, top-hat-wearing man. They stood right by their animals, one puffing on a cigarette and the other indulging in the most traditional of Czech foods. Sausage, bread, and mustard served on a paper plate. The smoker wore a mix of muted formal attire, giving him the look of a village mayor who got lost in the capital. The driver, having his lunch, abandoned fancy decorum altogether and settled for shorts and a grease-covered t-shirt. On his head, he wore a dusty red baseball cap of the non-existent Prague University. Not wanting to risk another argument or another horse appearing in my bedroom, I avoided talking to the men at first. Instead, I walked through the usual routes that the horse carriages took. The once crowded outdoor seating area of LoHa Street was completely empty, save for a group of mothers with strollers. Aside from a group of young, giggling Hasidic Jews, the boulevard of Pear Street was abandoned as well. The tourist trade had not picked up enough to justify free carriage drivers in the city yet. Have you guys seen a man with a top hat? I finally asked. Circling back to the two carriage drivers. He was here about three days ago. Think he might be your colleague. In a polite society. Proclaimed the smoker lighting a fresh cigarette with embers of his last. We say Dobri den before we ask strangers questions. Dobri den. I said, feeling the gentlest pang of guilt from forgetting my manners. The man blew out a cloud of smoke and nodded. I was free to ask my questions. Have you gentlemen seen... Ah! The graduate of a university that didn't exist shouted, nearly choking on the remnants of his sausage. <laughs> Are you the guy who stole Yaroslav's horse? What? No. I did not steal anyone's horse. I'm just looking for Stop shouting. The smoker said. We're not in a zoo. I didn't steal anyone's horse. I half whispered. I'm just looking for the driver with the top hat. Have you seen him? Yaroslav. Yeah said the man with the baseball hat, disposing of his paper plate. Came here two days back, furious, apparently got into an argument with, and I quote, some fucking snowflake sunflower man-child about his horse. Next day, he shows up to the stable and his horse is gone. He's pretty sure the man-child stole his horse. If I was this man-child, I would hide. Why? I asked. The smoker laughed. Yaroslav is a angry man. He said, puffing on a cigarette. He is an angry, angry man. Hated that horse. Hated this job. Hated just about everything. But he's an angry, angry man. And he's looking for someone to punish for the horse's disappearance. Saw him stomp a pigeon to death once, added the man with the cap. Oh god, why? Neither of them had any answers. They just shrugged. If you stole the horse, said the man with the cigarette, I'd return it. I didn't steal the horse, I said, but neither of the carriage drivers were paying attention to me by then. A man with the looks of a era Putin showed up and started barking questions at them in Russian. A couple steps behind the Russian was a stunningly beautiful woman with nails longer than her fingers. She seemed completely uninterested in her partner's interaction. In fact, she gave off the impression that she was above the petty squabbles of the mortal realm in general. The driver with the red hat and I stayed silent. We did not understand the interaction. The better-dressed carriage driver spoke back to the stern man in confident Russian. Soon enough, the couple was climbing into the back of the cart. I knew better than to raise questions about the horse's well-being. Do you know where Yaroslav is now? I asked the man with the cap as the carriage with the Russians drove off. He watched the long-nailed woman ride off as if she was his only chance at love. Then he sighed. I don't know, man. Where do horse carriage drivers go if someone steals their horse? I sighed too. Going to the Old Town Square didn't get me any closer to figuring out how to get rid of the horse. Knowing that there's a violent carriage driver out there who means me harm made my situation that much worse. Prague is definitely not known for being a fragrant city, but the occasional whiff of a piss corner was much better than the constant barrage of manure in my apartment. I roamed the cobblestone streets with hopes of clearing my mind, of remembering how small my problems are in the face of history, yet my worries about the future made it impossible to focus on the past. Suddenly none of the architecture around me seemed familiar. Suddenly those two years of not thinking about history felt like an eternity. I wasn't a tour guide anymore. I was a foreigner in my own city. Mark? A familiar voice broke me out of my panic. Hey there stranger, long time to see. Ignoring all World Health Organization recommendations, Adela hugged me. At first I didn't mind. The sight of an old co-worker was a breath of fresh air into my stifling day. Even when I realized the smell of my bedroom might have clung on to my clothes, I broke our embrace. There wasn't a cloud in the sky, but in her hand she had an umbrella. Her t-shirt was a size too small and looked like it came straight from a screen printing store in the mall. Who are you working for these days? I asked. That's a complicated story, and I'm pretty thirsty," she said, putting away her name badge. You down for a beer, or are you off to somewhere? Somewhere, on the edge of the town, a cramped apartment with hoof marks was waiting for me. I figured a beer would make that meeting easier. We sat down in one of the pubs that we used to take the beer tours through. A place authentic enough to have unhinged arts on the walls and cheap pilsner, but not authentic enough for the locals to smoke inside after the sun goes down. All the waitresses smiled and chatted with Adela. I had worked in the company two years longer than her, but no one seemed to recognize me. Have you been here since the lockdowns? Oh yeah, she said, waving at one of the Spanish company tour guides. I always get to stay in touch in this business, isn't it? Yeah. It wasn't until we were asked for our order that I realized the last thing I ate was one of the carrots I fed to the horse. I ordered a fried cheese for my late lunch and an unfiltered steropramen to tide me over until the food arrived. A joke about beer basically being liquid bread flashed across my mind. I had repeated it to a thousand strangers on a hundred beer tours before. Not all of the tour guiding shtick was gone. Even though the plague was starting to die down, I had avoided looking into the dynamics of the tourism industry. I knew my savings were running dangerously low and that tour guiding was just about the only sustainable source of income for me. Yet I kept on putting off research until the last moment. I put off research because I was scared all I would hear was bad news. Adela immediately justified my fears. The horse carriage drivers were back, the Spanish tour guides were back, even the pub crawls were slowly starting up. But the English circuit was barely breathing. A couple of the big companies went bankrupt, others were operating on skeleton crews, but most were just waiting to open up until next summer. There was no way the repairs my apartment needed could wait another year. So, where do you work? I asked as the fried cheese arrived. That's what I wanted to talk to you about. She waved for two more beers. The company I'm at has an opening. You looking to work again? Definitely, I said, way too eagerly. To not seem desperate, I quickly cut into the cheese and started chewing. Immediately, I burnt my tongue. With English Circuit dead, one of the Spanish companies saw an opening to expand. Adela was the first on board. The groups and money were unpredictable, but the flow of people was big enough to justify a second hire. So? She said, taking one of my french fries. Want to work together again? I gave her my answer so fast, I nearly choked on my food. Great! She said. Are you free on Sunday? This Sunday? Yeah. I'm going out of town for the day and we already have some reservations. My stomach did a flip. That's three days. I'm not sure if I remember enough to do a tour. Oh, uh, we'll come right back. I'd offer to run through the basics, but I'm a walking corpse right now. You can grab a glass of something tomorrow and chat it over if you want. It didn't take her long to notice my nerves. With a grin, she took another french fry from my plate, and grabbed her backpack off her chair. Enjoy your meal, think it over, and, uh, I'm just gonna pop over to the bathroom. She took her backpack with her. The mall of the free walking tours is completely tips-based. People show up to the show for free, listen to three hours, and then decide what they think our time is worth. Then, the tour guides pay the company a commission, and keep the rest of the tips. The question of whether there is a rest to keep or whether the tour is a bust is universally answered in a restaurant bathroom surrounding major tour paths. For a moment I wondered whether Adela also had a favorite stall for counting her money. That thought quickly turned to the specific denominations of notes she was counting. The tour? I asked when she emerged from the bathroom. She nodded, grinned, and told me the exact amount she made. Not bad for eight people. She added. It wasn't pre-plague money, but it could put a dent in the damages that the horse secured in my apartment. I'll be ready for Sunday, I said. Under one condition. She took another french fry and raised her eyebrows. I need a recommendation for someone who works with the supernatural. Huh? For the tour? Yeah, um, I used to get questions about ghosts and stuff on a tour all the time. Occasionally, people would ask where they could go for a seance or a ghost hunt, and uh, I'd feel considerably more comfortable if I knew about a place in Prague where people can go to with supernatural problems. Some sort of an expert? In, In case someone on the tour asks. I didn't tell Adela about the horse in fear of her finding me too unstable for a job offer. Watching her face process my question about the supernatural, my stomach did a flip. I sounded unhinged. I uh, think my aunt knows a tarot card reader. Not sure if she speaks English, though, Adela finally said. I can get you a number if you want, though. That sounds great, I said. Good. She drained the rest of her beer as if she had a trap door hidden in her throat. Grabbing one last french fry, Adela rose from the table. I'll chuck the number over to you when I get home, and I'll give you a ring tomorrow if you're down for a refresher on the tours. Good to see you again, Mark. She was halfway through the door when I had the thought. Adela? I asked. Hmm? Do you think the bartender will let me borrow a phone charger? The Germans sitting behind me are getting progressively louder, and I don't think my stomach can handle the rest of my beer. A third card reader isn't exactly the type of help I was looking for, but beggars can't be choosers. Adela sent me over the number, and I'll try calling it tomorrow. Hopefully I'll find some answers there. Hopefully this step will take me closer to getting rid of the horse. Either way, I still have to contend with the horse tonight. The Tesco next to the subway might still be open. Maybe I can buy some apples there. Maybe I can last one more night without the horse in my bedroom being discovered. The Cabinet of Fever Dreams is written and produced by Mike Jesus Langer and is brought to you by patrons such as Moo, Serafina L, Lucky J. Horton, Alan Rawl, Kus, Bob Kondrick, Chicken Mixer, and Daniel Wengel. If you'd like to join these fine people in supporting the show and get early access to episodes along with a bunch of bonus content, drop by patreon.com slash Mike J. Langer. That's all for tonight. See you all on the next episode of the next chapter of this horse-related horror.